Mark 13, uh, I'm just going to read the last few verses, um, 32 through 37. And Jesus is saying, um, and we'll actually probably, we'll go back next week and kind of dig into the, the, the beginning part of this. But, but he's saying now, that when is the end of time? When am I coming? That, you know, that's what's the question. When, when, are, when are you going to return? When is the end of time? When is the temple going to get destroyed? There's all these questions that they're sort of conflated into one. And I think that Jesus is answering the one uh, question. You know, there are three questions he's answering at once. And so some of the confusion people get, I think, is from that. But he does say this, about the day or the hour, no one knows, not even uh, the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. And then he says, be on guard, be alert. You do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells them, uh, tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. And if he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, okay, saying to the disciples, I'm saying to everyone, watch. And that's the word from the Lord today for us is to, to watch. And I'm going to tell you what I think that means um, in, in a second, but let's pray first. As we go to God's word, we should always go prayerfully and humbly and carefully. Jesus, thank you for the word that you've given us, this promise of your scripture to be the light and the lamp that we need it to be. And I ask for that to come alive in us today, to uh, speak to us, Lord, to... Um, to be real and alive. Lord, right now, this is a perfect example. We're in a world that it's super complex. And so, uh, how do we move through this? But your word, the word is a light, and it's a lamp that shines a light into that darkness. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I, um, the thing that we're seeing here is Jesus is saying this little parable that the, the owner of the house is going to leave. Okay, this is just, and he does this a couple times, like Matthew 13, I think. He, he has different metaphors of, of, of an owner coming, leaving, and then coming back to the home. And I, yesterday, as I was praying, trying to prepare, trying to figure out what the Lord was going to have for us today, my wife and my daughter, Lauren, had to leave for the morning. And we have a dog that is a uh, black English shepherd. She looks uh, like a bear, but she's also um, a diva. So we call her Bear Yance. And I'm going to show you, so they were gone for a long time, and I want you to know what I'm about to show you is a minute, but this is a minute that was a snippet of like what happened almost the entire time that they were gone. So the owner, so to say, her master of the house, Lauren, has left, and this is Bear Yance's uh, response to that. Back yet? Are they not back? Oh, it's cute now, but like two hours? She goes to all the doors. Yeah. <laughs> 
Side door. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, I get it that it's funny for like the first 13 minutes. <sighs> and I mean, I go into my couch and then she's like hiding, like holding on to me and boom. <laughs> I'm like. So she was watching for the return of Lauren. And that's a way to watch. <laughs> Not the most effective way of you know, use of time, but it's a way. And I was reading these words of Jesus saying, watch, when I come back, be watching. Like, what did he mean? And by the way, this is a way. You could sit around, be sad, be depressed, and be howling about it. And I don't want to Like, you're waiting for Jesus. Like, that's a way. But I don't know that that's what Jesus had in mind for us. The, the first few verses of this passage, he's actually telling us what's going to happen, that there's going to be trials, there's going to be tribulations, uh, nations, uh, rising against nations, wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes. All those things are going to happen. And so when you're in a house like where that's happening, the expectation of the return of our Savior is not bad news. Now, I would say to us in Western America, Western culture, we could view that as bad news because I got stuff to do. Remember, I joked about it last week, but I was always afraid that he was going to return like right before I got married, like at the altar. <laughs> you may kiss your bride. <laughs> Literally missed it by that much. I mean, that's one way to watch, right, for the return. But, but I promise you, I mean, I, we, we came back from Bharatnagar, Nepal. Okay, I spent a, a week there with, uh, with David. We were teaching the Bible to 100 pastors and leaders from Nepal whose laws have become more communist, have become more restrictive, who have, uh, could be thrown in jail for what they're doing right now. And their friends are being thrown in jail. So the return of Christ for them is not bad news. Like it's good news for them. The, the people in our, our friends in Haiti, like it's not bad news for them. Like they long for his return. And I would say to you this morning that I, I don't say that to throw a guilt trip on you that because we have it good here, uh, we should feel bad about that. But what I am saying is that, A, as good as it is here, it's still better what he's bringing back, the kingdom that he's bringing back, it will still be better. But even if that, maybe could you find the compassion in your heart? If you don't long for his return for you, the compassionate thing to do would be to long for his return because of Zimbabwe. That's a long for his return because of what's still happening in Congo, what's happening in uh, Syria in uh, to long. There's a compassionate thing that we can have that even if it's not for me, I can say, but Lord, even if not for me, for them, I know that they desire and long for your return, for you to come back, to set things right, to come back, to judge the righteous, right? The living and the dead to bring back your kingdom and your rule. That's something that the older I get, the more I pray that more truthfully, and, and the more my heart, though, grows in, in the gospel and in Christ, I pray for it earnestly uh, because I have friends right now in many parts of the world that Jesus coming back would be exceptionally good news for them.
And so what do I do? What do you do in the meantime? He tells us it's really, really simple, and that is to watch. Like that's what we are called to do. So it's to be on guard, to watch. Like that's what he's saying to them. Throughout this passage, he says at one point, be on guard, right? To watch. He says again, a couple of verses, be on guard and to look out. And the question is, what are we on guard against, right? Because there's a, a segment of our population that would say that what we're to be on guard is these bad things in Mark 13 are coming for us. So be on guard means build bunkers, bury weapons, get ready for it to all go down. And by the way, uh, you are not alone in that if that's how you feel. One of the biggest business booms right now going on in Kansas, okay, for crying out loud. Do you know this, by the way? Billionaires buying spaces, they're converting old uh, nuclear silos the motherland, okay, that's where I grew up. They're converting silos into multi-million dollar uh, apocalypse things to be protected, like not tornado shelters, like shelters from the apocalypse. And Jamie, I don't know, in your real estate business, I don't know what those will set you back, but maybe you want to start marketing those. I mean, Bill, I don't know, that might be a new market for you guys to reach into. Uh, they're like, a, like two, three million dollars to move into a bunker. But the world is afraid right now. Like, this is not something that's just a Christian thing. Like, the world is afraid, and those with a lot of revenue and a lot of money are buying their way out of it. But I don't think that's what watch means. And I'm going to tell you why. I mean, can we do just a quick uh, glimpse at what he's saying to watch for here so I can show you the scripture? Because he says, watch our, uh, if you've got your Bibles, open them to 13. I just want you to show you in verse 9, you must be on guard. Okay, that's what he says. You're going to be handed over to local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you stand before governors and kings and witnesses. In our modern context, uh, right now, in fact, a BBC report just a few months ago says that the, what's happening to Christians in the world right now is reaching genocide levels of what's happening to Christians. Like, this is something that is happening in our world. So the question is, am I to be on guard so that I don't get taken and, and beaten in the synagogues? Because he's saying the gospel's got to be preached. You're going to have to say this in front of this king, and because you're saying it in front of this king, you're probably going to get flogged for it. And Jesus is kind of putting it out there, but it'll be worth it. So I don't think he's saying be on guard to keep from being persecuted. I don't think he's saying be on guard to keep from being harmed. Uh, and here's why I believe that. Go down to verse 5. Uh, I go up just a couple verses. He said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. That's something he says multiple times. In verse 22, false messiahs, false prophets will appear. Watch out. Be on your guard. I've told you everything ahead of time. They're going to try to deceive you. Don't be deceived. Here's what I think he's saying. What you're watching out against is deception. And think about it in our modern context. The deception that's happening right now is we live in a world where liberal media, progressive media, uh, secular humanists, Silicon Valley, uh, the tech companies, view you and I as Christians uh, with a sense of bigotry and hatred. Uh, Nicholas Kristof, one of my favorite uh, progressive writers in the New York Times, wrote a piece a while back, and it was a confession of a, uh, a confession of a, of a liberal intolerance. 
And in this article, he talks about that he, as a liberal and his liberal friends, we love you if you look different than us. Like if you, if you he goes down the road, if you, you could be a Muslim, you could be gay, you could be black, you could be white, it doesn't matter. But as long, we don't care how you look as long as you think like us. That's what he was saying. And if you don't, then there's an intolerance there that he was confessing. Now, uh, nobody else confessed it. Nobody really said, hey, Nicholas, you're so right. But it's true. And even in our own culture, that's happened. And so what a lot of the deception in our culture is happening right now is something in scripture that we believe is authoritative, is offensive, and it causes somebody to get angry, someone to want to marginalize you. And the easiest thing to do to make it stop is to change it so that they're not mad at me anymore. Be careful that no one deceives you. There's going to be people saying, this is right or this is right, but be careful that no one deceives you. Jesus' words were true and they're righteous. And you see that even in the book of Acts when they went on, that they called them in, said, you guys don't say the name of Jesus anymore or we're going to beat you. And I love this is Acts 4, uh, 18. And Peter and John replied, uh, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him. You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard and there's some truth in that that is so helpful for us when we look at the truth that the watch out to be on guard against is against a deception that could ease into our church. Uh, and I say this, uh, I've said it before, but a lot of what you're seeing in what would be known as progressive theology, uh, the, the stuff that you see as, as, as it relates to sex and to sexual preference, all those things, uh, there's important stuff they're talking about there, but this, that's a sideshow. The, the problem is at the depth of that Jesus was crucified, resurrected on the third day, just as the scriptures foretold, to pay for our sins. That's the heresy at the core of it all. And I promise you, and I'm going to say names, and if you guys um, send your emails to mo at conduitchurch.com, <laughs> But in Richard Rohr's universal Christ, that's what he's saying, that that's not that important, that it was this new thing, and, but we're here, we're all saved, and we're, it's, it's a, a, a left turn from what is central to this. That is what Brian McLaren, Rob Bell, Stan Mitchell, they, they're saying, there was a guy literally just in, in Seattle, Washington this week, and I, I'd say his name, but I can't remember it. Uh, is a pastor of a church that just resigned because he's an agnostic. And I've been an agnostic and it just wasn't working out and so he stepped back from it. And I, I just say that to say that that, that's a, that is what they're saying and the way they say it is that makes them more popular because you notice they get on TV, right? If you notice, Oprah loves them, bring them on because it's made them popular and it's, made the, it's less controversial and it's less, but Jesus said, watch out that no one deceives you because it is a very inclusive message to say that Jesus wants everybody. He came to seek and save everyone, to save the lost, all of us. Watch out that you're not deceived though, because he came for this. So watch out. That's what he's saying. Be on guard. Don't be deceived. And then he goes on to say, and, and by the way, that's going to be the harshest part of the message. So if, if you save your email, this might, you might feel better because he watch out that you won't be deceived. But then he says, watch for Jesus. Like he's watching for him, watching for his return. Now, standing on the porch and howling? Mm, probably not. But because he, he says this in verse uh, 34, uh, leaves a man, puts a service in charge. He, listen to the, uh, each one with an assigned task. So while we're waiting for him, 
What do we get to do? And when you go back to Matthew 24 and 25, which is Matthew's telling of this event, he starts talking about the least of these brothers of mine. He says to his disciples on that day, I'm, I'm going to come to you and say, hey, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you visited me. And what's he saying here? Watch for me, right? Watch. And what do they say to Jesus in that passage? How did we, when did we see you naked? When did we see you? When did we watch? When did we see you? He said, when you've done it for the least of these brothers of mine, you've done it unto me. So watching for Jesus' literal return doesn't mean I just stand here, bury weapons in the bunker, and move out to Montana, although Montana has some big selling points, not going to lie. That's, I think he's really saying, everyone with your assigned task, while you're watching for Jesus, you're going to see him in the least of these brothers of mine. So when we, this week, started to send money, get money together to send to these brothers in Iraq, a husband and a wife, an old couple, their house has been looted by ISIS, vandalized and left, and they have nothing, no job and no materials. Our ability to send them the money to remodel that house is us seeing them. It is us seeing Christ in them. We are watching for him in them. The work that happens at Los Casosos is us. I mean, Sarah, that's what you were watching, Jesus, watching for him. Like, like us just sitting here and waiting is not what he was saying. Each one has a task. I'm going to be here. Okay, don't be asleep. Keep going. There's stuff to do. I got plenty to do. And I look around this room and I see a room full of people. Rhonda, the work that you guys are doing in Central America, you're seeing Jesus there. You've watched for him there. It's, I asked last week, it's Honduras, right? Okay, I'm, I make sure I'm getting the right country. The work that you guys do there, the work in Zimbabwe, I already referred to it, but the work that you've done, Melissa, you see Jesus there. When, you've, when did we see you? We saw you when you were in jail, when you were in prison, when you were in persecution and in famine. Watching for him, sure, we definitely want to know that he could come back at any moment. He's going to come back expectedly. We don't know the day or the hour. We just know that he is. And there's this idea that his return means that we don't have to do anything for the earth, that we, some people might be afraid, well, what if that's what we would do? That's not what Jesus is asking us to do at all. He says, hey, when I, you come back, be found doing stuff for me. And I love it because he also says here that the gospel must be preached in all the nations. So what is your task? Is it the gospel or is it social justice? The answer, yes. If, if you want to argue both of those, have fun with that. I'm sure there's a place that that could happen. But Jesus didn't leave us an option. Because on the other hand, we don't just go in and, and give free sandwiches and we don't just go in and, and drill a well. We go in with the gospel because the gospel is what will literally transform their lives. I grew up on welfare. I, literally nothing wrong with it. It saves people's lives. It allowed my family to be able to eat, but it didn't change my life. The gospel changed my life. And because of the gospel, now we go and we say to these villages, we're going to build a, a home and a well. And it's all, but, the, but Jesus transforming their lives is what's going to change them for eternity. That's how we're watching for Jesus. And the last thing that I wanted to share with you is that we watch out for deception. We're watching for Jesus. But what does it mean to watch with Jesus? 
What does he say here? Don't fall asleep. Okay? When, when the master comes back, don't let him find you sleeping. Think with me. It's just a few hours later. The disciples are going to be in the garden. The same disciples that are, he's telling this to, minus Andrew, are going to be with Jesus in a garden. And Jesus is going to say, ask him to pray with me. This is in Gethsemane, the night before he's going to be arrested. And he's, he's praying. Remember, great drops of blood. He's stressful. He's so anxious and so scared. And he comes to his disciples. And what does he find them doing? The master has come and found them sleeping. Don't let him find, when the master comes, don't let him find you sleeping. And it happens like within hours. And if you're the disciples, there's a little bit of it, man, how big of a bonehead am I? I'll tell you how big of a bonehead he was. They were. They did it again. <laughs> Fell asleep again and again and again. And Jesus saved them anyway. Because you could hear this, what I'm saying now, and you could immediately go into a workspace mentality. You could immediately go into, I've got to just get onto it and make it happen right now, and I can't screw this up. We've got to and know that the very disciples that just heard this fall asleep the night of Jesus' crucifixion, and Jesus loved them anyway. And what happened that day with Jesus when the disciples could not watch with him? Because the answer, by the way, was no, we couldn't. They were exhausted. Have you ever been up for 24 hours, 36 hours, 48 hours? I have. Not only am I no fun to be around, I don't even make any sense. They're they're humans. Of course they couldn't. And what did Jesus do? He went to the cross for them. And the only eyes of the universe that he wanted to watch him at that point, his father's eyes, turned away from Jesus So in that moment when Jesus needed his father to watch, his friends have already sold him up the river and now his heavenly father looked on him as the sins, all our sins of the world went onto him and his father looked away. Jesus was as alone as he's ever been. He's alone, he's more alone than anyone in the history of humanity has ever been on that moment. And because of that, because he went there, because he was put into that tomb alone, He descended on his resurrection moment when the sacrifice. Think about this. What did Moses say? I want to see your face. And he says, nobody can look on my face. Nobody can watch me because you'll die. You're sin. And what did Jesus do when he resurrected from the dead? It means that he was the firstborn. He gets to go to the Father. And now you and I can go to the Father. And because I can go to the Father, I now can watch the Father without dying. I can see his face. He can see mine and there's no, nothing in between us. And that is the miracle of the gospel. So that now, because of that, because of his great love for me, that's why we're helping this family in Iraq. That's why we're sending Bibles into Iran, because he loved us so much. How could we not do that? What is the absolute best possible thing we could do is to respond to that love, not out of a workspace thing to get him to try to love and forgive me, but out of a, man, he's given me everything, and now I get my opportunity to give it all back. I'm going to say this, and then we're done, because here's the thing. He's a God that has no needs at all, none. What do you, I don't know if you have any friends in your world. We've had a few over the years that pretty much have everything. Like, what do you get them for Christmas? They don't need anything. 
How do you serve a God that doesn't need anything? What can I possibly give him? I mean, the best we've come up with right now is a drum, pa-rum-pum-pum-pum. Like, that's the best option <laughs> that we've got. Me and my drum. He wired us to want to give. He wired us with a need to serve, but he doesn't need anything. And so he says, oh, but when you serve each other, it actually counts as if you've done it unto me. How gracious and how kind is our God to do that, to say that I don't need anything, but here's the deal. You do it for the least of these brothers of mine. This isn't just something for only a handful of special people. It isn't just a handful of people that God says, okay, they, man, they, these, this family that adopted this family, they must be really, really special we're all called to be a part of that. Your assigned task, there's too much for all of us to do, but God will give you a heart for this and her a heart for that and him a heart for this and them a heart for that. That's your assigned task. And if we all just do our tasks while we're watching for him, we get to change the world until he returns. And when he returns, he will not find you sleeping. He's going to find you awake serving your assigned task. You don't have to do it out of fear. It's this joyful thing that he's going to do. Stand your feet. I want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word, for your goodness, for your kindness. Today as a church, today as just me individually, I'm watching for you. I'm watching you to come? Yes, absolutely, Lord. But watching even today, Holy Spirit, who would you have me to serve and to love immediately, the people right in front of us? How can we be a part of that? Speak to us, Holy Spirit, as we watch for you. Lord, for those in this room right now that are confused because of theology, confused because all of these, uh, the Google searches keep turning up crazy stuff, Lord, would you help them to dig through that and to come back to the truth of who you are? You're good and you're kind and you're merciful and you've come to seek and save all of us. Protect us, Lord, from deception. Protect us, Lord, from veering to the right or to the left. And even as John in Revelation prayed, even so, come quickly, Lord, come quickly. Amen. God bless you guys. You are dismissed. Amen.